Welcome to Heart on the Mic, a show where we talk about life and are shameless about telling our stories because we know the value of speaking up. Thank you so much for tuning in today. In this week's episode, I invited someone near and dear to my heart to talk about her experience that led up to her being removed from the care of her mom and placed into the system which we know as foster care. Hey guys, what's up? It's Ness. I have a very super special guest today. Her name is Miss Karina. Just kidding. (laughs) Karina Carpio. And she is my cousin. And this is actually a second round. She's giving me another chance to interview her. I interviewed her, what, like two weeks ago? Yes. Yes, about two weeks ago. And I was not very satisfied with how I just went about it. So she's giving me a second chance. So thank you for taking the time again to interview with me. I really appreciate it. Like seriously, (laughs) (laughs) I was so mad at myself, like processing the other one. Um, But so you guys don't know her, but she is my cousin and technically foster sister which is awesome. We've had the chance to live together, to grow together, to annoy each other, the whole nine yards. But um, today I wanted to bring her on to talk about her experience specifically as a foster child and that dynamic, what it looked like, and even what led up to it and her being placed in the system. So Let's hop into it with Karina, and we're just going to go right into it. So basically, in about 2006, my mom and dad let us know that our estranged cousins were moving in with us, not only one, but three of them, which is you and your sister and your brother. And we basically were told that you guys were in Orangewood, and that they were letting you guys come moving in with us. That's basically all I translated. Um, but obviously for you, it was a lot more than just that. So do you want to say the backstory or just hop into how you guys got there? Uh, yeah, leading up to actually living with you guys, there was a lot actually that led up to that. The reason why we had to go was because my mother at the time um, was a diagnosed us. Uh, bipolar schizophrenic and I believe it was drug induced so living at home was basically dealing with her manic episodes which looked like hour-long lectures about things we didn't understand because you know she was obviously on drugs and just talking about things we couldn't comprehend honestly talking about it with my siblings we literally called it torture There was no getting out of it. And if you were caught falling asleep, it would just prolong the, you know, the lecture. So Um, anyways, though, she wasn't always like that. She, I think, hit a breaking point when she found out that uh, my sister and I were being molested by my grandfather, my paternal grandfather. And um, I honestly believe she had like a mental breakdown. And that's what kind of stemmed her mental illness. Backstory, my dad was never really around. I mean, he tried, but he spent most of my childhood in and out of jail Mm. for drugs or I'm sure a whole slew of things I have no idea about. (laughs) But um, he wasn't really around. And 
when that thing, when all of that happened with my grandfather, um, my paternal grandmother was actually in charge of caring for us when that happened. So I think I was really young because I had, once my mom found out, she removed us from the side of the family. Mm -hmm. And um, so we didn't see you guys for a while. And honestly, from that point beyond, I don't remember much. Yeah. Because from that point on, it was just my mom and her crazy. And then she was a proclaimed white supremacist. And so we had, you know, all these bald headed, angry men coming in and out of the house bleeding. And it was just a little chaotic. But when we finally ended up in Orangewood, it was because um, I had been going to a continuation school. And my teacher, who I was close with, suggested that I call and report abuse. So I discussed it with my brother, and he agreed. And so we decided to call and get shipped out to Orangewood. So basically, once your mom found out about, I can't even put it into words, because at least that's family. We know that nothing ever happened to him. What is it? Legally, right? He was never really charged or I don't know. I never heard of him going to jail or anything. So it's even such a weird topic, sadly. Yeah. But your mom protecting you guys from the predator initiated her downhill spiral. Mm -hmm. Removing you guys from the family to protect you guys ultimately led her to being a single mom doing everything on her own because grandma was at least helping babysit while she was at work and stuff like that right or how was that how were you guys in her in her care I don't know I don't honestly I I was never really around her growing up um I think the state was paying her to care for us Mm. or my mom was working so the state was paying a grandma to take care of us so she was your guys' babysitter basically yeah okay she was your babysitter and you guys were basically being violated in her care by -hmm. her husband Mm -hmm. so with that being said there goes your mom's babysitter and not only that's just the least of her worries she's leaving her kids with somebody who she thinks she can entrust them with to find out that you guys are being abused sexually and I can't even imagine what it was like to even be in her shoes at that time to to grasp all of that and just go from having you guys being around the family and involved to stripping you guys of that and her whole world being shake shaken and turned upside down so did that onset her like episodes did you see them initially or was it kind of like slowly started to see them come in or it happened like right away after everything came to the surface honestly I couldn't really tell you I don't remember a lot at that time I do remember her just not being okay and then soon after drugs were in the house um, prescription bottles were in the house. Boy, you know, these grown men were in the house. And the entire atmosphere of the home changed, you know. because like, you know, I had also found friends that were doing drugs. So, you know, they were in, in the house too. And so it was, uh, it was just a mess. I mean, it's not like he hadn't already done it to a lot of the other are a lot of our other relatives in the family. It's just um, my mom actually tried to go to the police station and make a report. But because my um, 
testimony was so vague because I was so young and it was always right when I had woken up or was falling asleep. It was all very hazy and because no one else would step up to testify, the case got dropped. Mm. And I think that also caused a lot of rage in my mom. Yeah. That no one would speak up about this ugly thing that was being perpetuated in this family. Like, like it was something okay or something to keep secret, you know, instead of, you know, proclaiming it and making it real and, you know, consequences being dealt for it. She didn't understand. And I think that's losing her mind. Yeah. Well, because she didn't have anybody come forward to support you and in what you were dealing with, what you had to go through and the abuse, nobody came forward and told their truth to be able to help your testimony be stronger and to put him behind bars essentially or whatever they needed to do to charge him for all that he was doing. And I even know for us, it's embarrassing to say, but as a family, it's to this day, a conversation that's kept under the rug and there continues to be talk of this person and that person also being sexually abused. And I'm just like blown away to hear those things and to not hear about anybody taking action about it. And and it's just sad that an abuser has been protected all these years. I don't even want to get, well, I, like I just said, it's a flap under the rug. So if I say I don't want to get into detail about it, then it's doing the same thing. So if I'm being honest, people call him dad and it's their stepfather and one person, including my dad. And I don't, I don't agree with it. It disgusts me. And um, I'll have some family hitting me up after this. (laughs) That's my personal opinion. And it's the truth though. And I have the right to feel that way towards him. And I don't know how you feel about it because it's my dad's stepdad, but your dad's his actual dad. Well, for me, it's, it's kind of different. Like I I remember one, there was a, a moment a long, long time ago when I was doing drugs and my mom was doing drugs and, um, she made me call my dad and tell him what happened. So I remember calling him crying and screaming at him, like, like, um, your dad touched me. Why didn't you do anything about it? And I'm screaming at him and I'm crying and I hear him on the other line crying and there's just no response. He had nothing to say. Mm-hmm. So I hung up and I found out later that I, you know, after that phone call, he went over there to kill him or something. I don't know. But then Look, a couple years later and, you know, they're fine. They're talking like nothing happened. And for me, it's just kind of sad. You know, it's sad that, that it's just all okay. You know, it's so common in this family of ours. You know, it's, it's the multitude of people he's hurt on many different levels. And I didn't have the worst of it. And knowing that just makes me sad. It makes me sick. When I see him, I don't acknowledge him. Same with grandma. You know, it's not that I hate them. It's just I don't have a place for them in my world, you know, because for me, I don't belong in it because I don't allow people who carry such negative energy into my very positive space. You know? <laughs> so, um, and I think that's also why, like, I think a lot of people in our family kind of respect me and the fact that I have accomplished so much or am who I am and despite what I've been through that they know not to approach me or question my actions because they're valid responses to what we've been through me not talking to them 
you can't question why. I mean, if I held on to that, if that grief or that pain, you know, what kind of person would I be? Mm-hmm. You know, why would I allow that man or that woman to change who I am today? And that's what it comes down to is, yes, acknowledging what you've gone through and acknowledging what he's done to multiple people in the family is not okay. But at the end of the day, deciding like, I'm not going to give them the power to strip me of my capabilities to have a pity party or have yourself so consumed in that pain and that sorrow and that grief, but to be able to be like, okay, this is what I've gone through. This is what happened to me. And this is how my family reacted. But at the end of the day, this is how I'm going to react. I'm going to, you know, choose to not engage with them, but you choosing to not engage with them doesn't mean that you are victim, but it's, that's the way you're rising above it is by not engaging and moving forward, you know, instead of staying stuck in that past and that situation. And that's something that I admire about you is that you've done exactly that is you've, you've gone through it, you processed it and you're, I don't want to say over it, but you really are in a sense. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't affect your daily life, but it still is a part of your story. It's a part of who you are in the sense of the way you carry yourself, the way you look at things and stuff like that. And kudos to you for being able to do that because a lot of people are able to overcome things like that and just continue on a downhill spiral for the rest of their life after something traumatic like that. So kudos. (laughs) I wasn't even... In our pre-recording conversation, (laughs) that was just there. Boom. The the reality. Um, So with all that being said, as a kid, how do you perceive your childhood? Like, did you see, well, by the time things happened and your mom's mental health shifted and things like that, you're already a teenager when you've seen men coming in and out of the house and when you've seen the drug use, you're open to experimenting to drugs. Like it wasn't like a surprise, I guess. But when you were younger, from what you can remember, how did you perceive your childhood? Did you feel like it was normal? Did you feel like it was crazy, but you were okay with it because you had the freedom that you wanted? Or like, what was what was in the mind of younger Karina? Um, before teenage years or during? Before, I guess, before teenage years. Okay, well... That one's hard because I think I have a lot of repressed memories. I don't remember a lot. I get flashes here and there of like Calvary Chapel in Westminster. I get, you know, flashes of, you know, grandma's house, you know, by the Taco Bell on Harbor. Like I get flashes here and there, but nothing that like I get flashes of like Alyssa's house right right there by the Taco Bell when she used to live there with all the Hernandez family and, you know, just flashes of like, you know, times where I found it exciting, but honestly. So you basically had so much going on that you blocked out all the negative and only remember like some positive stuff? Basically. <laughs> what, since you could remember some of your teenage years, what did you think of your household dynamic as a teenager then honestly in my teenagers I think I hated her I hated her for changing everything so drastically my mother and I don't have a great relationship as an adult now I look at her very differently but as a teenager I hated her 
I hated everything about her. I thought she was a weak woman. I thought she just gave in to the worst of human fault and emotion. And I didn't respect her. And because of that, I rebelled. I started doing drugs at 11. I think I got expelled by by 12. I was very promiscuous. I was hanging around all the bad crowds, the gangsters, the the white skater boys in the trailer park. I was hanging around meth heads. You know, I became a meth head. I was just doing anything to remove myself from my current position, a position where I felt trapped by my mother, where I had my father trying to be very secretive about talking to me and then trying to hide that secret because he's my dad and, you know, not tell my mom who I knew would rage out if she ever found out I'd had contact with him because she hated him so much, you know? Was it always like that though? Or was, did she want you to not have contact with him once she found out what his dad? Um, I don't remember. All I remember is after the fact, after uh, the incident, you yeah. know, I don't remember anything else. That's interesting to me. And it makes sense now, I guess. Like, ah, because... <laughs> All I remember is you and your sister at a very young age in my life. But at the times where I could remember more and in the mid-childhood where, you know, you remember everything, I remember only seeing your brother and he was the only one with your dad. And I'm assuming he was the only one able to go with your dad because your mom was trying to just protect you and your sister at the time and not allow you to leave with him. I don't know. That's just an assumption, but... All I remember is seeing him coming over to the house, swimming with us, playing with us, but never you guys. Occasionally, because my mom had a relationship with your mom, we were able to go over to your house and be dropped off or just like sneak in for a few minutes. But so were you partying and stuff like that to cope or were you just doing it out of influence since you said you were involved with different types of people? Kind of a mixture of both. I had met people in middle school and I think to fit in with my peers you know I think I dropped my friend group I was hanging out with and started hanging out with these guys who were you know getting high and um, I ended up just hanging out with them but their their childhoods were similar to mine I think Mm. just rough childhoods and we all kind of related and I'm still I still talk to some of them today you know, they're recovering addicts and trying to make a better life for themselves as well. So how do you feel to know that your childhood trauma didn't lead you to the path that many of those friends are down that you are in contact with being in recovery and things like that? Um, what do you feel like the difference was? I'm very grateful. Um, not to say that their lives are any lesser than my own because they have made tremendous strides to better themselves despite mm-hmm their addictions and their struggles because they are real you know addiction is real and I have always been very able to walk away meaning I have I think I've always had a strong enough willpower to walk away from things that I decide are not okay with me you know I um had a foster mom my teacher who actually called the the police for me and made the report had always been a voice in my ear encouraging me to do better. I don't know. I just made a choice. I needed to be better. And also I ended up being fostered. You know, these other people, they stayed with their parents until their parents also died or 
their parents are still um, enabling them. I went into the system where I moved in with your dad who required me to write the Proverbs every day. (laughs) Before then, I don't remember being in church or ever listening to it. So it was new to me. And as much as I hated it at first, I loved being a part of this whole new church family and learning all these basic morals that I had never learned before, you know? Not to say that church is the route to go for everybody, because it's not. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't go to church, (laughs) you know, now, but it was just what I needed in a very hard time in my life. And I think it is very good for people who are struggling to get solid foundation, to be better people and to want better things for themselves. So... So what I got from that is I'm just, <laughs> I will poke at you. You know what I'm thinking. Yeah, as much as being taken out of your home is what you guys needed and wanted because you were in in an, a household where there was neglect, basically, and abuse emotionally, you being stripped away of, of what you knew was what you needed to be able to help you have a different future. Yeah, and your friends who unfortunately weren't able to be saved by the system and who didn't have that opportunity or that teacher or whatever it may be to be in their ear and say, you know, you're 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 more than this. You know, there's value. There's there's so much more you can do. And a lot of kids, I feel like, don't hear that. And I have to remind myself on a daily basis to give some type of life to my girls by the way I speak to them, mm-hmm. whether it's I'm proud of you or you did good today, or I know you can do better tomorrow, as cliche as it sounds. My kids, I know it. They're all looking for approval because they deal with neglect and abandonment. So when they see me eating into the needs of another girl, they get upset because I didn't do it in that exact way for them. But I'm just so, I try to be so cautious of when I'm speaking to them and how I'm speaking to them or what principles I'm instilling them, even if they might feel like I'm being mean or one of the girls didn't (laughs) like something that I had to say a few weeks ago and she called me the B word under her breath. She's only 10 years old and I was upset and I was just like, okay, I heard you. So don't be mad when this happens. And I felt like I was being extra for giving her a consequence, but I'm teaching her the principle of respect. And she wrote me a little note on uh, yesterday before I left work. And she was three weeks later, but she said, I'm sorry for calling you the B word. And she didn't even write the word. She just put the B. So I'm like, (laughs) okay, even though I didn't see, see anything that day, she wrote me a note to to validate like, yes, I understand what I did was not respectful, you know, and I may not always see the fruit of what I'm trying to teach them, but I'm glad in some way you that are. I'm making a difference because you just said it, you had, you had a different scenery. And even though they hate being where they're at, the scenery that they're in gives me the opportunity to feed life into them and to teach them structure that they're not that they wouldn't be getting at home and stuff like that. So that encourages me.
and once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Hard on the Mic. If you made it this far, it's obviously because you've listened to the whole episode and you don't know how much that means to me. Our next episode will actually be finishing up this conversation with myself and Karina. So if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Heart on the Mic so you can hear the second half of this conversation and many more conversations just like it. Mm -hmm.